Christmas, though we're not commanded to celebrate it, you know, it is, it is a, it's a nice tradition to have. You know, we're not under an obligation to celebrate it or to observe it, but it's something that is a wonderful thing to observe because it, it is a reminder of, and this, this idea of giving of gifts, gifts are unearned, they're undeserved, and it reminds us of the greatest gift that God gave the world, and that's the gift of his Son. And John 3.16, I thought was the most fitting passage for us to look at this Christmas uh, to prepare our hearts uh, to rightly celebrate Christmas. So we're going to consider from John 3.16 three truths that will give us the right focus as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. So if you've turned there, and, and if you have a Bible we provided, it is on page 888. How many of you know this verse by heart? Perhaps in different translations, some people like New King James or the King James because it just sounds really biblical. Uh, but whatever your translation, translation, they're usually not too much different. But in the ESV, we read this: "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life." And so the first truth that we're going to consider is this. In this verse, we see that the world is perishing. That's the first truth that we're going to consider. The world is perishing because of sin. And I want this morning to be more of a meditation and reflection on this wonderful passage, this verse in particular. I know many of you know this verse by heart, and many of you are rejoicing because experience the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and you know the gospel, but I want us to celebrate the gospel and talk about the meaning of what God did on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And so the first truth we have to consider when we talk about good news of the gospel, we have to consider that there is bad news first, and it's this reality that the world is perishing because of sin. In the world in this verse, it refers specifically to people. It's not talking about the rocks and dirt or perishing. Granted, God created all things, and he is concerned for his entire creation. But particularly in this verse, it's referring to mankind. It's referring to the entire human race. And we see that because this this verse is part of Jesus' conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He was a prominent religious leader in Israel. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus how people can be made right with God so that they may enter God's kingdom. That's the whole subject of this conversation, which Jesus started, by the way. Nicodemus had some questions for Jesus, and Jesus said, unless someone's born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was like, excuse me? And so goes this teaching of his. In the scope of the conversation, it really takes one, and it goes all the way through 21, what we see is Jesus makes it clear that people on their own, in their natural state, left to their own devices, they are condemned. And instead of having the hope of entering God's kingdom, they perish. Why is that? And if you look down in verse 19 and 20, here's what Jesus said, because their works are evil and they do wicked things. And this has been the case since sin entered the world through the first man and woman as a result of their disobedience to God. 
The Bible says, and if you're familiar, you go all the way back to Genesis. Right in the beginning, we get the story of God creating the world. And God, it says that God created the world and everything in it in six days. And as the crowning point of his creation, he created all things. But the final point of his creation was creating man in his image and likeness. That's male and female. Male and female. He created them. And it was by his design that they were to live in loving fellowship with him and to bring him glory, glory by faithfully ruling over the earth and representing him on the earth. That was God's design and intention for the human race to begin with. That they would worship him and enjoy a loving relationship with him as they ruled on the earth representing him. That would honor him. And after God made the first man and woman, we refer to them as Adam and Eve. That's the Bible refers to them. God declared everything in his creation to be very good. So he creates the first man and woman, and everything he says is very good. You know what that means? It's not, it's very good. I mean, you know, have a little, could improve a little bit. No, it was, it was perfect. Perfect. There was no sin, therefore there was no perishing. However, this perfect state was short-lived. Sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. When they rebelled against God by disobeying him. He had given them a commands, and they chose to go their own way, to disobey him. They chose to sin against him, even though he warned that if they did so, they would die. He lovingly warned them that disobeying him, going against his command, would bring death, would result in their death. And they experienced physical death eventually, and even that is a sign of God's mercy because they could have died physically right away. But they eventually died physically. But here's what happened immediately. They experienced spiritual death. And here's what that means. The spiritual dimension of their life through which they enjoyed fellowship with God, that, that dimension of their life became dead and empty. Their sin resulted in their spiritual and their physical corruption. They forfeited their fellowship with God. That act of disobedience was forfeiting their fellowship with God. And they forfeited this right and privilege to rule over the earth as his representatives. This, this high status, this privilege that they enjoy, they gave it up. They wanted to go their own way. They wanted to be their own authority. And the result was a severing of the relationship with God and a loss of their privilege to rule on the earth as God's representatives. And here's the thing. The Bible says that sin, the sin of Adam and Eve it not only led to their own corruption and their own death, but it resulted in a corrupted human race because from the first man and the first woman came the entire human race. All their descendants were born into this corruption as well. Sin and its effects spread to all men. They've spread to all men. And, and it's helpful to know what the Bible says about mankind because people do tend to have a high opinion of themselves. Perhaps have a high opinion of the human race, of humanity, Maybe they say there's some spark of goodness in us all. We just got to tap into that and, and draw it out. But here's what the Bible says. Here's what God says concerning the human race descended from Adam and Eve. Because of sin, they're separated from fellowship with God. They're corrupted in their nature. They're born in sin. And they continue to sin throughout their lives. 
They're born sinners, and they're sinners also through their actions. They sin throughout their lives. They're sinners by nature and by practice. They think, they speak, and they act in ways that dishonor God. That's what God says. Scripture also says that people's understanding is darkened. Their hearts are hardened. They reject the truth that God has revealed in His Word. They reject it. They suppress the truth. They worship and serve created things rather than Creator. That's man in his natural state. He turns to worship things that are made instead of the one who made everything. Scripture also says the intentions and thoughts of people's hearts are continually evil. And this is shown by what comes out of their hearts. Jesus said, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles man. Here's how you know that he's corrupt to the core. What comes out of the heart, things like evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, slander, pride. All those things come out of the human heart, proving that people are corrupt to the core. There's no spark of goodness And these are all the corrupting effects of sin, but the idea of perishing now in John 3.16 is not that people's moral corruption is going to cause them to waste away and and eventually go out of existence. That's not what perish in John 3.16 means. Rather, it means that sinners are going to pay an ultimate and dreadful penalty for their rebellion against God. God is holy. He's set apart from His creation. He's perfect. He's good. He's morally pure. He is righteous. And His standard for man is moral perfection. That is His standard for His creatures, for mankind. Moral perfection. They're to be holy because He is holy. However, because all people have fallen short of that standard and have committed eternal offenses by sinning against their eternal God, They're not only separated from God, but they've also earned God's wrath. And so we're getting a better picture of what this idea of the world perishing means. And because God is good and just, He cannot and will not let sin go unpunished, will He? I mean, you think of a good judge, a judge who is just, for Him to just turn a blind eye to the breaking of the law, to crimes that are committed, Well, he would be corrupt. He wouldn't be good because he doesn't care about justice. God cannot and will not let sin go unpunished. Whatever seemingly good things people may do in life, granted, we say, hey, people can, you know, do things. I mean, don't don't people like help other people out and stuff? Well, those seemingly good things that they do in their life, it can't in any way make up for the fact that they are sinners and it can't make up for the fact that they have sinned against God. It can't make that go away. When their time on this earth is up, Scripture says, after they die, they will die in their sins, and then they will face God's righteous judgment for every single sin they ever committed during their earthly lives. Sins, by by the way, which God has kept a perfect record of, because guess what? Does He know everything? Does He see everything? He has a perfect record of every sin ever committed against him. And this includes even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. 
So when people die in their sins, they'll be found guilty. They face God's righteous judgment, they will be found guilty and condemned to everlasting punishment. Remember when I said sin is, they're eternal offenses because they're committed against the eternal God. And the scripture says, God will cast them into hell. This is God's prison where they will be confined forever and suffer eternal torment under his wrath. This is the full picture of what it means to perish. This is the sorry state and dreadful fate of every person according to what God has made known to us. People are hopelessly lost and in desperate need of rescuing, aren't they? Isn't the world in desperate need of rescuing? And we see in John 3.16 that it was a monumental act of God's love that made it possible for sinners to be saved from His wrath. For God so loved the world. And that right there is an amazing statement because the world did not love God. The the world was in rebellion against God and God chose to act in love to the world that the world might be saved from his wrath. He so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that leads us to the second truth that we're going to draw out from this verse. God gave His Son in order to save sinners. God took the initiative, and He provided a way for sinners to be saved from His wrath, forgiven of their sins, reconciled to Him, and He demonstrated His amazing love for unworthy and undeserving sinners by sending His Son to die in their place to pay the penalty for their sin so that they themselves might not perish but have eternal life. Jesus pre-existed as the eternal Son of God. He is God the Son who took on flesh and He was born into this world as a sinless man. He was fully God and He was fully man. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And though He was tempted as we are, He never sinned. And according to God's predetermined plan, He willingly laid down His life as a ransom for many. So when you think about the Christmas narrative, when we celebrate the fact that Jesus came into the world and He was born, and we have this baby in a manger, remember that that baby was God, eternal God, the Son who came into the world so that He would die in the place of sinful people. Because Jesus was fully man, He was qualified to die as a substitute for sinful people. You can't make an animal sacrifice and satisfy God's wrath against you for your sins. That won't satisfy it. You need a substitute. You need a human being to die in your place. And because Jesus was without sin, He was an acceptable sacrifice to God. I mean, a sinner can't pay the penalty of somebody else's sins. They have their own penalty to pay before God. Jesus was the sinless substitute. And because He was fully God, don't miss this, because He was fully God, His one-time sacrifice was sufficient 
to pay the full penalty for the sins of everyone who believes in him. No mere man, even if there was a man who had no sin, who offered himself to die in the place of someone else, that man is a created being. He's not eternal. How can he pay an eternal penalty? Jesus is fully God. His sacrifice could pay that. It was sufficient. He died on the cross for sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And this proved that he indeed was the eternal Son of God. And that he was victorious over sin and death. And not long after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He is a risen Savior, not a dead Savior. And he will one day return to judge the world and establish God's kingdom. This kingdom that he's talking to Nicodemus about. He's going to establish this kingdom on the earth. Jesus, the Son of God, He offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who turn from their sin and trust in Him as their Lord and Savior. And I know many of you do know that. But I want us to reflect on these truths that Scripture tells us. And this third truth that we're going to see in in John 3.16 is this, that we can't miss. God loved the world. He gave His Son But because the Son came doesn't mean the entire world is not going to perish. Only those who believe. Only those who believe in the Son will be saved. That's the third truth that we want to consider in John 3.16. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him. Well, what does it mean to believe in Him? Does it mean to believe that He existed? That He existed... uh, Believe some facts about him? Doesn't mean that, does it? I mean, a lot of people believe that Jesus existed. That's not sufficient. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Saving belief is continual, wholehearted trust in God. It's it's faith. It is wholehearted trust, and it is continual. Another way to read this this verse in John 3.16 is that whoever is believing in Him, is continually believing in Him, they should not perish but have eternal life. To believe means to be entrusting yourself to Him in complete confidence. The idea here is total commitment. It's not just an intellectual belief. I acknowledge these facts. I accept them. Eternal life is mine now. It's wholehearted trust, implying total commitment, complete confidence you're entrusting your life your soul your eternity to him you're not only trusting him as your savior but also as your lord to believe in jesus means you personally come to know and accept the truth god has revealed in the bible concerning who jesus is and what he has done and you are trusting in him based on that truth you can't miss that either you can't believe in a false jesus You can't believe in in some nice guy who came and who wasn't God, but died on a cross as a display of the fact that God loves you and and somehow you need to do some things now that indicate your trust in Him. I mean, if you have a deficient view of Jesus, then you can't be saved. You have to believe, first of all, the facts concerning Him. He is and what He has done. You have to believe the truth, absolutely. It does involve your mind, but... It doesn't stop there. It ends with wholehearted commitment and trust in Him. 
continually. So how is it that God saves sinners who believe in his son? How can God do that? How can he be just in doing that? We said that a good judge can't just turn a blind eye to to sin or to crimes committed. He can't just ignore the penalty that must be paid. The penalty must be paid. I mean, sinners, after all, I mean, they're still sinners, even if they believe in the Son. So how does God save those who believe in him? Again, we've been going through Romans. Jeremy's been taking us through it. A wonderful, wonderful letter. It's long, but it is very in-depth on exactly what God does to save sinners and how he's just in doing that. The Bible says that God graciously justifies those who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. He justifies them. What does that mean? Do you guys remember what it means? If God justifies a sinner, what does it mean? He declares them to be righteous. God declares them who trust in His Son to be righteous. However, it's not because they have a righteousness of their own. He's not like, good job. You did a very righteous thing. I'm going to call you righteous because you're so righteous now. They don't have righteousness, right? Scripture makes that very clear. All have sinned. There's no one who is righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. Rather, sinners who believe in God's Son, they're declared to be righteous because God credits the righteousness of Jesus to them. And in a sense, they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sinners who are justified through faith in Jesus are no longer under God's condemnation and wrath because guess what? The penalty that they deserve for their sins was paid in full by Christ on the cross. And trusting in Him not only means that their penalty has been paid, but then His righteousness, His sinlessness, this perfection, it's credited to you. And so God is just because he did punish those sins. And he's just in declaring sinners righteous if they believe and trust in his Son. Sinners receive full pardon in Christ because he paid the the full penalty for their sins. They have eternal life and they will not perish. John 3.16. That's what it means to believe. The call to believe points to the fact also that salvation from the wrath of God is a free undeserved, unearned gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Never will. You never have. God gives His free gift to those who trust in His Son, who believe in Him. Sinners are only saved as a result of God's grace. Amen? We affirm that truth, absolutely. No one, because if it wasn't that way, then it would be implying that we somehow, by our own effort, can earn God's forgiveness, His favor, Cancel out our sins somehow by our own effort. No one can be saved that way. No one can earn his favor and forgiveness. Any attempt to do so, think about this. If you're attempting to do that, and by the way, every system of religion outside of biblical Christianity is works-based. It's doing something. I'm working my way. Somehow I'm going to work my way to be with God, have eternal life, those things. It's, it's based on effort. But God says, no, Christ did everything. You need to trust in him. It is a free gift. It is grace. And any attempt to earn God's favor is an attempt to bribe God. It's evil. Familiar verses we want to consider. 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. How many of you know that by heart? Hey, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This idea of believing, trusting in the Son, faith. And this your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works. Isn't that clear? And why is that? So that no one may boast. You can't boast before God. If you in any way think you contribute to your, your salvation, then you're, you're saying, God, you had my help. I contributed. I can boast. No, God gets all the glory in the way he saves. It's grace. Titus 3, 5, the first part of it. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but, because, but according to his mercy. It's mercy of God. It's the grace of God. Unearned, undeserved. And so after looking at John 3.16, and we consider these three truths, okay, the world is perishing because of sin. By the way, you know John 3.16, you can easily share the gospel. You can articulate enough of God's truth that can bring somebody into the kingdom because they will understand that the world is perishing because of sin. That includes them. That God gave His Son in order to save sinners like them. And that only those who believe in the Son will be saved. It should be clear to us that Jesus is the only hope for this fallen world. The world has ideas of ways they can make life better. World peace, we're working at that. You know, international relations. You know, it's the economy and the global market. I mean, working towards these ends to make this world a better place. And God says, the world's perishing. It's under the wrath of God, under the curse of God. And the only hope for the world, for the sinful human race, is Jesus Christ. And think about this. There will be no peace in this world. I mean, if we read Scripture, we'll see it's clear. There will be no peace in this world until there's peace with God. That's the problem. You don't have peace with God. You need to be reconciled to Him. And the whole world, well, needs to have peace with God before there will be peace in the world. And there will be no peace with God until mankind's rebellion against God ceases. I mean, there's no peace unless that rebellion against the Creator comes to an end. So when will this happen? Well, for those who do not repent and trust in Jesus, that rebellion will be brought to an end when they die. Every individual will have death come knocking on their door. Their time will be up. That rebellion comes to an end. Scripture says man's appointed to die once, and after that comes judgment. And those who don't come to the point of, of trusting in Jesus wholeheartedly and trusting themselves to Him as Lord and Savior will certainly perish. They will die in their sins. Jesus said, if you don't believe I am He, you will die in your sins. That is a dreadful thought. Because after that would come condemnation, sentencing to eternal hell for their rebellion against their eternal Creator who gave them life. That's when rebellion comes to an end. But we need to consider the fact that God doesn't let the whole world perish. He made a way for people to be saved. And it is only through His Son. Jesus said, it's exclusive. It's through Me. I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Saved by grace alone, through your faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way. And even in John chapter 3, if we went back there later on in verses 35 and 36, it says this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. However, today's the day of salvation. It always is. While the, t- the time you have right now, if you repent and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then guess what? Your ongoing rebellion against God comes to an end. doesn't mean you're, you're, you're without sin completely perfected immediately, but it does mean that this, this continual state of rebellion against God, it comes to an end. Because putting your faith in Jesus results in you being clothed in his righteousness, reconciled to God. You'll no longer be an enemy of God. You'll no longer be a rebel in the eyes of God. You'll receive his pardon, his full pardon for your sins, and you will be born again. Jesus said you need to be born again, right? And guess what? You're going to be born again as a child of God and also as a loyal subject to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not just as God's child, but as a loyal subject to the King of Kings. And who is that? Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. So the call to everyone is the same. The call crying out from God's Word from John 3.16, believe in God's only Son so that you would not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son who gave Himself that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's not just, you know, oh, baby's born. And Magi, they come, and all that. You know, there are all these things that we look at, all these details, but if you miss the truth of John 3.16, the purpose for his birth, then you miss what you need to celebrate at Christmas. You miss the whole point. God did not leave the world to perish, but in an amazing act of love, here's what we celebrate at Christmas, and in God's amazing act of love, he gave his only son to, celebrate, uh, to save sinners like us. God has made it possible for sinners to be made right with Him through faith in His Son. So when you celebrate the holiday, this tradition, when you see gifts under the Christmas tree, or if you don't have a Christmas tree, I mean, whatever. Gifts, the giving of gifts. Let that remind you of this verse. The greatest gift ever given was the gift of God's Son to be the Savior of the world. Amen? So Christmas, absolutely. Oh, this is good news of great joy. And we celebrate that every time we come together if we've been born again through faith in Jesus. Christmas is also time to tell people about this good news of great joy. And this idea that the greatest gift ever given was God giving His Son so that they might have the opportunity to not perish but have eternal life through faith in Him. It's a call to believe, to repent and trust in Christ. Let that be our meditation as we celebrate the holiday. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this this time we can come together, specifically during this time of year, to to commemorate and celebrate your love and the gift of your Son to rescue sinners like us from your righteous wrath. Father, also help us remember that this this dreadful truth that the world is perishing. Those who, who don't know your Son or have some deficient view of Him or some wrong understanding of how they can be saved, some idea that they somehow can work at that, earn it. Help us be reminded that they are perishing and that we might be the ones to bring your good news of great joy to them. Father, may you be honored in our lives, in our witness of what you have done in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we live for his glory and for his fame. Pray that your blessing would be upon our time and we're with our families, Lord, and that we would really be concerned for the souls of those who don't know you. And that we would not be silent, Lord, but to proclaim Christ to them. For you so loved the world that you gave your Son, your only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, Lord, but have eternal life. Thank you for that gift, Lord, to us. In Jesus' name, amen.